Good morning and welcome to Legal Defense with Kirk and John. Wow. That's, that's, that's Kirk O'Bear that you just heard, and I'm John Birdsall. And that was really commanding, um, sort of like uh, announcer voice from, I don't know, maybe like a 1960s sci-fi movie. Right. It's the, that- incre- the Incredible Blob. <laughs> I like it. I like it. I think uh, you should use that in court, maybe in your opening statements, really command some presence. Yep. <clears throat> what do you think? Yo, Judge, the incredible mob. <laughs> <laughs> hey, did you hear that the defense team for Derek Chauvin has uh, requested a new trial? I did. And um, uh, you and I have both been there. <laughs> Many yeah. times, right? Yeah. Uh, and it's uh, it's actually an unusual procedure that Minnesota seems to have <clears throat> where normally you wouldn't make such a motion in Wisconsin until after the sentencing. Right. Um, and, and so maybe it's something they do then also. Uh, maybe this is a preliminary step that by their statutes they have to do. But the essence is the same. Like he's 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 essentially requesting a new trial because, um, uh, and he's got a lot to tie up here. But because unfair publicity, um, you know, they uh, filed that settlement during the middle of the trial, twenty seven million dollars. Um, they weren't sequestered. Well, uh, how do you, how do you the, deal you know, with the unfair publicity? I mean, how is that ever going to be remedied? You well, know. that's that's interesting. I've brought this motion a number of times on various cases, and um, you know, you you in your motion, you have to you have to demonstrate that there was in fact massive publicity. You you know, you're going to attach newspaper articles and clips from from various news media and all of that to show the judge that this is out there. But the challenge is, as you know, that you then have to demonstrate that somehow it had an effect on the proceedings themselves. In other words, that, you know, that, that somebody maybe in Vordaer or um, in some other place said, you know, this, 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 uh, this onslaught of news coverage um, is affecting my ability to be fair. Well, they usually covered that in, uh, in Vordaer, but. Um, they did. They did. They covered mm-hmm. it extensively. Because I watched remember the back whole in the, the OJ case, the state versus o- or Orenthal James Simpson. Uh, similar issue in the sense that they, <laughs> which is funny because that was like worldwide coverage, but they moved it to a different county in California, thinking that would be somehow you know better, <laughs> <laughs> right? A place where they right. don't have TVs, <clears throat> you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, this was the, one of those trials that everybody was just glued on, and of course, the media coverage leading up to it. I mean, everybody, everybody saw stuff about it. Um, but that that is interesting because I've had that issue come up as well. Although I will say, um, I there's that type of client that um, imagines that the any publicity is like makes that person real special. You know, like oh, I can't get a fair trial. Well, <laughs> but um, yeah, the hard part is showing how do you address it. Uh, in terms of proving well, that it had an actual impact without asking the question. You have to uh, approach the jurors and say, hey, what did you hear? Did it affect you? And they say, yeah, it totally did. I think the guy's guilty. And then everybody, 
you know, everybody. Well, gets then pissed. those people, then those people are just booted. Yeah, you know, but they hurt everybody else. Yeah. Well, that's true. That's true. Actually, in this in this case, they did um, single juror at a time. Yeah, they did not do the whole panel like we normally do, mm -hmm. uh, because they for the, probably for that very reason. And, and one of the interesting cases that I had where they um, did grant a motion for um, uh, like a change of venue because of publicity. Um, but what they did was they held the trial in that same county, but they brought the jury in from a county all the way across the state. Mm -hmm. And they bust them up there, put them in a hotel and that's where they stayed the whole time. And um, uh, and they did this twice, by the way, uh, because I did the second trial. I didn't do the first trial. So, um, and I thought that was a very interesting way to go about it. Mm -hmm. uh, I, you know, and but on the other hand, I've brought you know cases where um, I thought there was a ton of publicity and a ton of news coverage, and judges are not impressed by that because. There's news coverage, at least, you know, in large media um, areas that is, you know, there's there's news coverage about different crime stories every day. Yeah. It's like uh, it's like, <laughs> you know, the whole story, if it bleeds, it leads. So, you know, they they want the 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 the, the, the there's if they if they granted every motion where there was news coverage, we you know there would be no trials yeah, well, in any kind. I, I, I think it also has to. The standard includes not just the pervasive nature of the news coverage, but it also has to include inaccurate or inadmissible facts. You know, just the fact that there's been a lot of attention paid to it isn't enough. And, uh, well, you know, typically when a newspaper article or um, new TV news story is talking about a case, they're going to get most of their information from the criminal complaint. And the criminal complaint is not evidence, isn't admissible. And they're usually put together with the same degree of care that goes into making sausage. So just kind of like wraps <laughs> and ears and snouts. Right, and right. Yeah. Whatever happens to be um, scrape off the floor. Yeah. Right. And so um, you're right about that. And uh, and that's very frustrating. In fact, that actually morphs into another issue that, that's very related, which is this um, pretrial publicity uh, and really um, trying somebody like um, in the press immediately after charges are filed, then they grab their mugshot and they plaster it all over mm -hmm. and um, with their name. And, um, and of course th there's literally never been an attractive mug mugshot mm -hmm. ever in the history of mugshots. So, um, uh, and, and so I think those, I think that should be banned. And there, it is banned in certain countries, this pretrial publicity stuff. Mm -hmm. And, um, and you remember back in the day, they used to do this all the time. It's not so much anymore. Uh, although occasionally the federal government and sometimes the state, <laughs> when they press had a, release. when they had a big bus bust, yeah, they would have a big press conference with, you know, this wall of law enforcement behind them and on the table would be piles of guns and drugs and, you know, yeah, yeah, money, yeah. you know, and of, and of course, and of, yeah. and of course they're, they're all like, well, now he's presumed innocent, but <laughs> here's what we have. I mean, Yay you know, for us. <laughs> and, and, and are we allowed to respond? No, we're not allowed to respond. 
And so that is by the ethical rules, I should add for folks that didn't know why I said that. Um, and so I think that is something that needs to be, you know, this, this, it's like, you know, crime porn. Um, <laughs> yeah. Number 10 for, for, and he gave his daily press conferences on the status yeah. of the investigation into Stephen Avery. That was, that wasn't even borderline unethical. It was just flat out unethical, you know? Oh, Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. And, um, and, and, and that was based on, you know, Brendan Dassey's supposed confession, which, um, you know, he read like, like he was doing (laughs) dramatic leading reading for masterpiece theater, you know, (laughs) I mean, so this uh, it was disgusting. It was disgusting. And, um, that case really touches a raw nerve for me, but, uh, but, but, you know, I, I don't think he's, I don't think, the Chauvin defense team, try as they might, um, uh, is going to succeed in getting the, this new trial. Um, I, I think one of the really interesting things is the fact that they've now filed federal civil rights complaints, yes. criminal complaints against Chauvin and the other three officers. And um, and I think it's very, very interesting, this timing, because one would think logically that the federal government, before filing federal criminal charges where they allege violations of constitutional rights, not local criminal codes, so like, you know, Fourth Amendment, that sort of thing. Um, and you, but you would think they would wait until the other state cases played out and that this would be a very big prejudicial item for the, you know, like Officer Lane, Officer King, um, and I forgot the last guy's name, but um, you'd think that they would be um, jumping up and down saying, well, how can we get a fair trial now? You know? Um, Well, uh, the timing of it's interesting, though, because the indictments on the civil rights charges actually did come before the motion for a new trial by the defense team. So I don't know if they just like forgot that that's a possibility. You know, know, I'm just uh, I well, we can pick it up after the break. But um, I have some thoughts about why that timing might be actually purposeful. Yeah. All right. We'll be right back after these messages. And we are back. Oh, wait. I got to try. I got to try the Kirk of Bear voice. And we are back with more legal defense from Kirk Bear and John Birdsell. Yes. And now back to legal defense. I don't know what that was. (laughs) That was over. That was too dramatic. It even, like, you know. That was the <laughs> think of think of think of some great sixties sci fi movies, the monster from the Black Lagoon, or was it yeah, the creature? The creature, the creature, creature. Not monster. monster. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever see so, the movie <clears throat> movie Ega? E E G A H. One no. of the worst movies ever made. And you remember the guy in the James Bond films, his name they called him Jaws because he had those mm-hmm. metal teeth. It was that yeah. guy. It was that guy. He was like seven foot eight or something like that. Yeah, that was um, Andre the Giant. No, wasn't it? No, it wasn't Andre. Was it not? You're, think, oh, you're okay. thinking of Princess, uh, whatever the Princess Bride. <laughs> yeah, Bride. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, it was that guy, and and you know the two things he did with his career was one, he's in a James Bond film, and then he's in this really like low budget. To say it was a B movie is giving it too much credit. And it was called Ega, like, you know, like that was the name of the movie. 
Wow. And there's an exclamation you know, point after it, too. So you know he, was, what? I'm gonna, like this, he was I'm a cave that. man that woke up like Rip Van Winkle style, and he's out, uh, you know, terrorizing the community. But it turns out he's a good psychotic caveman, and he's got a, a warm heart. And like, He was just misunderstood? Misunderstood. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> he's like, oh, well, that reminds me of Caveman Lawyer from uh, uh, from Saturday Night Live. Yes. <laughs> Wasn't that, uh, <laughs> that the dude that I got murdered was, by his wife, right? Yeah, uh, Joe Joe Piscopo. No, no. Um, <laughs> uh, okay, we'll I, think I, of it. We'll I, think I, of it. I, yeah, yeah, I can't recall yeah. his name, but he did. He was trying to talk to the jury. And he was like, um, he's like, ah, uh, I don't understand all these strange ways. They scare me, you know. <laughs> and phones and stuff. <laughs> what I do know is my client is innocent. <laughs> <laughs> Phil Hartman. That's what I was thinking. Phil, Phil Hartman. Hartman. Yes, yeah. yes. So getting back to um, this uh, Shalvin business, the, um, uh, the, the, the motion for a new trial is based almost all always on um, – the idea that it was too much publicity. And, you know, I cited some of the things, you know, the, the comments by Maxine Water, the, um, uh, the settlement during the middle of the trial and all the rest. So, um, uh, but, you know, I, 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 I don't know that, you know, he has even a little prayer there, but, um, but when we were talking, when we left, we were talking about like why they would file the federal civil rights suit right now. And what I'm reading, if I'm reading the tea leaves, one theory I have is that they've already cut a deal with the lawyers for the other three officers Mm -hmm. to try and do a global settlement um, for their state and federal cases. And that way, if they're going to do time, they're going to do it in a federal prison. Nice. Instead of a state prison. Yep. And there's just a theory. There's nothing. There's the, whatever's going on behind the scenes is going on behind the scenes. But um, for those of us that uh, work in the system, uh, I assure you that um, federal prisons are far nicer <laughs> than state yes. prisons Absolutely. as a general proposition. And um, and if you can, you'd rather be there. Um, right. That's my goal. You, is that you know when I, when I go to prison, I definitely wanted to be federal prison. So. <laughs> Well, I'm going to remember that when I'm representing yeah. you. Um, right, right. Do you know what? Do, do you know? Do you know what when crime I you want to commit? My crime. Or? Yeah, I'm thinking about it. I'm trying to make sure it's just a federal okay. thing, you know, that they can't get me on any state stuff. <laughs> sure, sure. Well, you know, I don't know. Maybe you apply for some federal aid and give false information. And um, yeah, that's, uh, that's a good idea. Nah, I don't even know if you get prison time. Uh, okay, get let me let me be slightly serious here for a second. There are times. And I'm telling you the truth here, JB. Um, okay. When when I have a client, and I figure out that this dude's life is basically he takes some classes, plays basketball, <laughs> hangs out with his bros, and eats really good food every day. It's like he's on vacation. And I'm like, <laughs> I, I would I would trade places with you, man. You know, my my well, life of working so hard till my fingers are down to the bone, you know. Well, I'm just saying, you know, <laughs> life in a federal institution ain't, ain't that bad, you know. Well, I, I when I was um, 
maybe this is too much information, but when I was married, um, it was a very stressful time and I'm not anymore, but, um, the, uh, that I would like go visit, I would, I would visit, I would visit guys in prison and I'd think that's not so bad. Yeah. <laughs> No, it's pretty good. I have actually, you know, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure it's pretty stressful if you're worried about getting shanked by somebody. But, you know, that doesn't tend to happen in federal prisons. I think we're we're making too much light of this because I think Jared Adams, our our newest lawyer, I think maybe he might have some other take on this about how nice prison is. Yeah, but I'm talking about federal prisons, man. Okay. All right. He was not in a federal prison. So, yeah, why don't John, why don't you talk a little bit about Jared? We're going to have to have him on the show soon, but I don't know that many of our listeners know what's going on with um, him joining our firm. Sure. So Jared Adams, at age 17, was a young black male who lived on the south side of Chicago. Um, and, uh, I'll tell the rest of the story, but I'll fast forward to the fact that he's now a lawyer, a very good lawyer, does a lot of civil rights and appeals and is part of our firm, even though he lives out of state. Um, so he's 17 years old and does what 17 years old do. They sneak out from their mom's house and drive to Wisconsin to a party at, uh, in a, at some dorm in Whitewater. And there was, um, uh, a lot of details that are included in his book, which I have read, which I highly recommend. It's uh, called Redeeming Justice, and it's coming out in September. Uh, but he was falsely accused of uh, a rape that never occurred. Um, him and his friends had consensual sex with this one girl who then apparently uh, was trying to cover up the fact that she was doing that and made up this rape allegation. Long story short, he had a very, very, very bad lawyer that was a court-appointed lawyer because his family was very poor, and um, he went through two trials. The first was a mistrial, uh, and the second trial, he was convicted, and um, he was sentenced to 28 years in maximum security prison. He served 10 of those. And during that 10 years in prison, he was bounced around. He spent two full years in Boscoville, which is a supermax in Wisconsin. It's in the southwest corner of the state um, where it's um, pure isolation cells. Um, It was a horrific experience. He wrote a lot of his own appeals. He became a jailhouse lawyer. He wrote appeals for other inmates. Finally, the Wisconsin Innocence Project got him out, and he he was exonerated. Um, and then he went to law school and I'm glossing over a lot of details, but he went to law school. He went to work for the innocence project in New York, which is where I met him. And, um, uh, we kept in touch over the last three or four years. And he, uh, uh, now lives in Los Angeles and he's got married. Um, and his wife works uh, for Netflix, also a lawyer, very sharp person, um, and and he's admitted in Wisconsin now and is part of our firm. Mm-hmm. He's doing civil rights cases, regular appeals, habeases, things like that. And he also has cases all over the country. Um, currently has a case of provable innocence in Virginia, um, another one in Detroit, um, another one in Chicago, 
So he's, he's, he's all over the place, uh, but we're, we're happy to have him. We're proud to have him. Um, and I'm proud to know him. Absolutely. Thanks for that summary. We'll have him on soon, especially with this cool new technology we got. We could have anybody on the show, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's, let's start with, let's start with President Biden. Biden. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to call Joe. President, yeah. Yeah. See, I mean, you probably have a cell phone number. I so. do, but I'm not allowed to give it out. You know. Okay. It's understood Secret Service and all that. I get it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. You know that thing. <laughs> but uh yeah um we'll we'll definitely have them on and then we need to brainstorm about other folks who kind of have on now that we have this technology and um you know um whether it's politicians or judges or just other lawyers or you know comedian. professor types or yeah. yeah i'd be cool for a comedian sure Steve absolutely martin. Steve martin uh, <laughs> he can play the banjo uh, yeah this could be like his mini master class <laughs> all right Time for a break, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Legal Defense with Kirk and John. And that, ladies and gentlemen, was uh, Bob Barker's announcer from The Price is Right. Wasn't that the the show, The Price is Right? Yes, yes. yes. (laughs) Tired of that nasty (laughs) ring around the collar? (laughs) <laughs> all those all those game shows had like the same announcer voice. They probably had the same announcer. I don't know. Yeah. Um boy, but that would be like that would be like some slick work, huh? Probably <laughs> get paid really you, well. Did I tell you that one of the other lawyers in our office um like never gets it when I make a reference to Saturday Night Live? Have I told you that? No. Um well, you know who it is. She works in the Milwaukee office primarily. And um, <clears throat> her name's, it's, it starts with Nicole and ends with Muller. Um, wow. I, I, don't know who, I still don't it know is. who it is. Yeah, it's it's a mystery, I'm sure. Know. But so, I'll, I'll talk about, hey, remember that episode of Saturday Night Live? And she'll stare at me and say, how old do you think I am? <laughs> Well, yeah. If you're gonna, if you're gonna pull out references from the '90s or something, well, she was a I child. I know, she but was, they, look, I still watch the old episodes because it's so funny. I love it. Yeah, yeah. There are I some. There like are some good old Monty ones. Python and the Holy Grail came out. I was probably five years old, but I know the whole movie from start to finish. You know. <laughs> well. I guess, you know, uh, on legal topics, we could talk about, you know, the feudal system and Monty Python and the Holy yes. Grail. And, um, you know, the. <laughs> like Would we be violating a copyright if I like reenacted a scene right now? Would that be problematic? <laughs> like, Let's ask Jared's like wife. She, she probably knows. <laughs> like the scene where, like the scene where they were, um, uh, they were trying to gallop towards uh, Camelot, and um, they encountered some peasants just yes. slugs, like slinging mud it's, in the field. He's like, <laughs> "I'm your king." He's like, "I don't have a king." <laughs> like, well, I never well, voted for you. I am king of the Britons. Well, who are the Britons? Well, we are all Britons, and I am your king. I didn't vote for you. <laughs> You don't vote for king. <laughs> well, who made you king? The lady of the lake bestowed upon me Excalibur. <laughs> All right. Uh, anyway, back to back to the law. Hey, we how about too this, much fun? You know, uh, how about this Supreme Court case with the high school cheerleader? Have you heard about this? No, I'm not sure. I did. Tell me. Okay, so. 
Young high school cheerleader tries out for the varsity squad. I'm doing this in a dramatic voice because it's such a moving story. Um, Tries out for the varsity squad, gets denied. (gasps) So she does what every teenager would naturally do, was she goes on to Snapchat and she's got 200 people who follow her or whatever. And she says, she types um, F the school, F the cheerleading, F you know, um, the, uh, everything. And she just does that. Like, you know, uh, <laughs> she wanted to like right. have that encapsulated the schools. This was uh, not during school hours and off campus. And, um, the school suspended her from cheerleading for a year. So she brought suit or her parents mm-hmm. did, and, um, made it to the Supreme court of the United States of America uh, with the legal question about whether or not the school, like this violated her First Amendment right. Does, does a student have a First Amendment right to speech, which is not related to the school itself? Um, and it goes back to that Tinker case in the 1968, mm-hmm. 1968 I do where, that yeah. where, where students were wearing armbands to school and the Supreme Court says, well, um, that's their free speech rights. And the only way that you can regulate that free speech is that it somehow disrupts the school environment, mm-hmm. which in my mind raises all sort of that test is like many Supreme Court tests. I mean, it can go sideways at any time. And um, and so I think <clears throat> this girl who, by the way, the following year did actually make the squad, but anyway, she um, <laughs> wasn't like permanently damaged. Uh, but um, the principle uh, of the of the issue here is that um, uh, if kids are not actually at the school, and of course, COVID maybe raises a few questions, but because they're doing Zoom, but if they're not actually at the school, how is whatever they're saying disrupting the school? And um, and that's the the ultimate question here. And the interesting part is, as I researched this a little bit, because I was interested, um, you know, a lot of the ju- current justices are originalists. Mm-hmm. And originalism is taking the Constitution as it was understood at the founding. Um, and the interesting part is the First Amendment, particularly the free speech clause of the First Amendment, is is hardly talked about at all, either in the Federalist Papers or anywhere else. Very, 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 very little. And that's why it's so interesting how we are, despite this originalism and textualism that is adhered to by many conservative jurists, but isn't they, that breathe, so, they breathe. It's so simple and fundamental. I mean, how much discussion do you need about well, the idea that one should have the freedom well, to criticize the government in particular? Well, that that's an easy part. What's not so easy is um, is is money speech, mm-hmm. for example, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. that's what they did in Citizens United. Um, is, is what what constitutes disrupting the school in this case? So I think on the facts, nobody could say that what she said was disrupting the school. But you could imagine. And in fact, there was a case in the Second Circuit that was. That was found to have that was speech off campus, mm-hmm. but was found to have disrupted the school. And it was a kid who posted a picture of a gun firing, and the caption said "Kill Mister 
you know, fill in the blank, his English teacher. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Well, that's like, <laughs> and I, I know what's like, I know you, that's another aspect of this too, that I think at least in the history of this type of um, speech issue, you know, the, you can't yell fire in a crowded theater, the, the old paradigm that we learned in law school. Um, but, and you don't really have to show that there, that it was even, the speech was even heard, you know, in these regulation type cases. And I wonder if the, I remember that case with the, the gun and the thing like that, um, that they didn't Nobody had to show that it was actually viewed or witnessed by anybody or that there was an actual impact. It's basically, you know, if, if it's foreseeable that that sort of speech as a category, you know, can have a, uh, an impact or a detriment on the learning environment. Um, which, you know, I, uh, those cases are fascinating when you, when you think about it, um, how, uh, you know, the, there was a thing years and years and years ago about the public schools that uh, somewhere, I can't remember where it was, I think it was in New York City, a public school that wanted to have uniforms. Remember that? Like, it was in the 80s. I think. No. Yeah. No. And it was, well, I think it happens all the time now, but, it, but back then, the issue was, you know, do you have the freedom of expression? Can you opt out of wearing a mandatory school uniform? And... I believe the the school prevailed in that particular case because they were able to demonstrate you know, the, the particular needs of that school district because it was in a high crime area and they were and they were able to actually show that by implementing that policy there was a reduction in you know student uh, disruptive behavior. Fascinating. I, I, I well, wish well, I wish that my school had uniforms. You know why? Because I was I was very poor. You know, growing up, <laughs> and I'm like. I, I was always nervous, like, hey, my clothes aren't my clothes aren't expensive enough or my I don't have the right well, kind of sneakers. <laughs> I, I wouldn't have minded having uniforms because then that takes out any sort of decision making right. or any sort of sense of style, which Correct. I didn't have yeah. much in either yeah, category. Exactly. So um my son did go to a uh, all boys high school, Jesuit high school, and they did have uniforms. And um, I think, I think he found it kind of a relief. Yeah. You know, I can definitely see the benefit in that, you know, and then, you know, people, you know, I probably wore some ridiculous stuff when I was, you know, into punk rock bands and stuff like that. But, um, (laughs) you know, what, what's the point if you got to sit and, you know, deliberate over your wardrobe for the day and are you going to be, are you going to look cool or not? I mean, that's well, that was the problem. I didn't deliberate. I just looked <laughs> on the floor. <laughs> Whatever, Whatever was, was on top of the pile was what yep. I was wearing that day. Yep. You know, probably the thing you wore the day before. So, yeah. yeah. So, but it, I remember it, it would have been so much easier if there was no choice in the matter. No, yet we had to wear uniforms in gym. You know, that you, yeah, yeah. you had to buy like the standard things that they offered at the school. But. Well, I, you know, getting back to this, this, this girl's case, I mean, I think the interesting um, uh, aspect of this is going to be because if you really look at the Tinker test, um, I think it was Tinker versus Des Moines School District or something. Um, they, uh, if you just apply that to this case, I think she wins. Yeah. And so what I don't, the, I don't know. I don't know that they're going to have after this break because we got to take a break for our commercial. You got it. And we are back with more <laughs> lame, lame, lame 
That was bad. You know what? I purposely did it bad. I just wanted you to know yeah, that I, it was I, not a sincere uh, and I, attempt. I know. And that's why I did not <clears throat> uh, fake any kind of praise. <laughs> Um, so uh, yeah, with, I, I, I can't wait for has it gone to oral argument yet I don't even know the status but um, no because um, I can see how uh, that would go I, this is going to be um, I think uh, Kagan will say what, what are the implications for uh, other types of regulated environments say in the workplace and then the 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 counselor will answer the question, but then Kavanaugh is going to go up oh, counselor. Was there beer involved? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you on a not so funny note, um, Thomas seems to think, and he has expressed this in other cases that uh, minors do not have first amendment rights, which I found, which I found a little breathtaking. Um, and maybe that's an originalism thing. I don't know. Um <laughs> Okay, uh, so does that mean that uh, people that aren't white landowner males? Uh, I, don't I, have- I was well. That was <laughs> and that was certainly an originalist um, yeah. philosophy, and I don't know the answer to that. So women aren't people. So what I think is going to happen is um, they're not going to try and rewrite a new test. Um, I think they're going to uh, decide this more narrowly and um, and avoid some big proclamation. Because, you know, really, if you look at the makeup of the court now and the way John Roberts is trying to position the court, um, he's got his hands full. Because what we have now is we have, just to be blunt about it, it's a pretty politically ideological court, Mm -hmm. which is not what courts are supposed to be, but that's what they are. That's what they have evolved well, that, into, and that's what that this one the, is. The person that put those people where they are believed it to be a political, uh, you oh, know, absolutely, situation. absolutely. So, but he's trying to not have that be the appearance because that reduces the court's legitimacy. And as True. we know, I mean, courts can issue opinions, and that's supposed to be followed. Well, you know, ask Andrew Jackson about that. Ask um, you know a couple <laughs> other presidents about whether or not they're going to follow the court's pronouncements, and and if they don't, um, you know, the court doesn't exactly have an army to enforce it. So, so the legitimacy is a very very important thing. And so he's been voting. If you noticed, he's been voting with the liberal wing, right? Um, and in and he turns um, six what would otherwise be six three decisions into five four decisions, and he's doing that intentionally. He did that on um, some of these decisions about um, religious services being restricted during COVID nineteen. Mm-hmm. And um, and like for example, if you see if you look at the decisions before Barrett joined the court and after, they're, they they flip exactly with her mm-hmm. arrival. Mm-hmm. And before it was like, well, we're not touching that because we're not doctors and we're, we're you know, if the state thinks you have to restrict, then you're going to restrict. And after she arrives, boom, they, they, they were exactly the opposite. So, so given that makeup, this, this free speech case is, is I, if they're going to have a decision at all, I, I really think they're going to try and make it narrow. I think, I think, I think Roberts is going to try and force that to be the case. You know, for a long time, Thomas has been my least favorite justice, but I may have to re- reevaluate that, you know, given the current additions. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I mean, 
it's distressing. Here's what here's what will be interesting for our perspective is Antonin Scalia, for whatever you want to say about him, about other cases, about abortion, about you know um, gun rights, about any number of other issues. When it came to criminal law, he was actually kind of a champion. Mm-hmm. Um, and confrontation rights, search warrants, uh, you know, um, uh, searching other, you know, uh, uh, you know, electronic devices. I mean, he there was a whole slew of things that he was he was very um, insistent and adamant about. Um, and 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 you know, a lot of times. Um, those great decisions come down, and there was a lot. There was a number of them: Crawford, um, Blakely, uh, Apprendi. You know, I mean, there's there's a whole series of them. They they were great decisions. Uh, now, not, a lot of times, Booker. great decisions. That was, I was not Booker, expecting Booker to win. You know, but no, that no, I mean, everything. So, um, uh, and and that was coming from you know a, a conservative icon. And now the question is. She says that she is, you know, Scalia. The new Scalia. <laughs> Scalia and and, and um, my and my attitude is okay. Well, show me, mm-hmm. you know, because I haven't. You just got there, well, so I haven't seen it so there, far. There but will never, there will never be another Antonin Scalia. And uh, I, the thing that um, I always found most fascinating about is that. His scholarship, I mean, yes, he was definitely a textualist or originalist and, you know, was famous for saying, read, read the law. Just what does it say? But he had such an artful and sometimes kind of sassy way of (laughs) rendering his opinions, you know. That's true. It was very entertaining, you know. That's true. For those of us nerds that, uh, you know, as a hobby, we read Supreme Court opinions, you know. (laughs) Um, uh, you know, I mean, I think he had a good sense of himself and, uh, and it was interesting that he was practically best friends with RBG. I know Ruth Bader Ginsburg, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, um, they vacationed together with the opera together and yet they were back writing together. Yeah. <laughs> they they were two of the most polar opposite people that you could even imagine in terms of lawyers. Anyways, I mean, um, and I admired that about both of them, actually. Uh, and, you know, uh, so I don't know. Amy Coney Barrett, um, she could turn out to be him. You know, I think, you know, just judging objectively, she seems like she's probably a pretty decent person. She, you know, has adopted a number of children and that she's taken care of. You know, she, she seems to have, like, a good heart along those lines. And so I don't know, I'm reserving judgment, I guess is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I wonder that there's, if there's still uh, rumors floating around uh, the district of Columbia about president Biden um, and, you know, doing some court packing. I think that's every, that was all the fears of the Republicans just because they, assumed- well, I think that is probably part and parcel with the negotiations over the filibuster. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, because this, you know, I'm just like, for me, I'm over the filibuster. Yeah. <laughs> it I was know, cute. I it, was, it was quaint for a while. But, Isn't you know, that special? 
<laughs> but you know, the the United States Senate is is uh, in my view is is like one of the most um, anti democratic institutions that we have. Yeah. Because yeah. if you look at, I mean, uh, California has two senators. Wyoming has two senators. North Dakota has two senators. I mean, it's kind of ridiculous. Yeah. Rhode Island, Delaware. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like you know, I mean, I think there's so, only two people in Rhode Island. So you know, the 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 the, the, the the juxtaposition of the tens of millions of people in California versus the two in Rhode Island, you know, I mean, yeah, they should not have well, equal it, representation. Supposedly it makes up for it in the, um, you know, the House of Representatives, yeah. but not quite. Yeah. You know? In 1787, maybe. <laughs> yeah. In 2021, not so nah, much. Not so much. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know. Uh, other, I, I think we, I, I think getting rid of the filibuster is at least a start. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, I know Biden is not a fan of doing that because he's an institutionalist and he's <clears throat> sort of wedded to those yeah. memories. But, <laughs> you know, I'm uh, serious, you know. No, yeah, oh, the good old days when we would, you know, go endless days and nights talking about nothing. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, like when Ted Cruz um, read from Dr. Zeus uh, before he was canceled, uh, read Green Eggs and Ham, and you know, so then he I read mean, it backwards, and it was satanic. And you know. I mean, I, w- I used the word quaint before, and it's a Mr. Wa- Mr. Smith goes to Washington quaint, exactly. Mm-hmm. You no, know? and that's fine. I mean, there was a reason that we created it, and there is a justification for it, like a rationale that. You know, if we require 60 votes or two thirds or, you know, whatever it is for how many senators there are, how many states we have at the time, you know, that's that it's going to it's going to encourage bipartisanship by requiring more votes. And that's That's true. true. Yeah. But but (laughs) (laughs) if you got a split down the middle, 50 50, like we. But um, yeah, then nothing gets done, you know. Well, and we need to get stuff done right now in this country. We just do. You we know, do. it's kind of a critical time. Well, hey, man, time's up, so we got to go. Oh, no. All I right. Know. Well, catch so, you on the flip side. Such and we'll work, on, we'll work on getting some, some guests for you next week. Right on. All right. Tune in next week as you can every week right here on 1330 and 101.5 WHBL. It's been Legal Defense with Kirk and John. Sayonara. <laughs>